Well, if you have your Bible, turn to uh, Psalm 85. Psalm 85. I'm going to read the entire psalm here this morning as we take a look at the Scripture and, and remind ourselves of God's goodness during this Memorial Day weekend. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for your presence. Uh, thank you, Lord, that where you are, there is fullness of joy, that where you are, there is peace and purpose. And, and so, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to worship you here this morning. Grateful, O oh God, for your kindness that draws us to you. And we pray now that your word would come forth with power and authority, that, that Lord, it would pierce our hearts, it would open up our understanding, that we would comprehend what you're saying to us and live it uh, to your glory. And we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Psalm 85, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land, thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob, thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people, thou hast covered all their sin, Selah, thou hast taken away all thy wrath, thou hast turned thyself from from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again? that thy people may rejoice in thee. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh to them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. I want to share a message this morning I entitled, We Need Revival. How many of you would agree with that? We need revival. I need revival. I don't know about you, but we need revival. Um, this is our Memorial Day weekend. Just put that anywhere, Lauren. I don't care. Um, this is Memorial Day weekend, and obviously it's a very somber, it's a very serious time, and uh, it's a time in which we, uh, we remember, we, 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 we remember the sacrifices that were made, uh, those who laid down their lives for the freedoms that we celebrate. Uh, it's easy for us, it's easy for us to take for granted uh, the blessings of living in such a great country when we don't stop and remember um, I don't know about you, but during this time, I always end up somewhere on like the Histor- History Channel or the Smithsonian Channel, and I'm always watching some, some documentary about uh, war or Okinawa or somebody laying their life down, and it, it, it's a reminder of, of how far we've come and, and what we celebrate as a result of the lives that were laid down for us. Uh, when we think about the brutality of war and the millions of people that have died simply because America wanted to stay free. And how easy it is for us to forget, to take it for granted, isn't it? I mean, we get up every day and we don't have to concern ourselves with, with bomb shelters and, 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 and making sure that we're prepared and am I going to end up in war or you know, we get up every day knowing we're not being attacked. We're not having bombs dropped on us. I mean, I remember during the 1980s when we had the, you know, the Cold War and, and the nuclear scare. And every day we were afraid, you know, that Russia was going to press a button and drop a bomb on us, right? How many of you remember that? Even Ozzy Osbourne wrote a song called Thank God for the Bomb. 
I mean, when Ozzy is thanking God for bombs. But, you know, we, we, we recognize that the freedom that we have is a result of the sacrifices that were made by, by people that went before us. And so I, I honor them. I honor their sacrifice. And during this Memorial Day, I want to remember. I want to remember why we have our freedom. And most of us, obviously, during this time will, will remember our loved ones that have gone on before us. We will visit graves, we will lay out flowers, we will we'll have memories, we, we celebrate, we honor their memory. It's a day of mourning, but it's also a day of honoring. It's, it's a day of, of recognizing and remembering the love and the impact that they made on our lives. Because remembering is a powerful thing, isn't it? Remembering is a powerful thing. It can stir our hearts, it can motivate us, it can empower us to change and empower us to do. Remembering the lives of those who have impacted us can inspire us to live in a way that continues that impact. How many of you have people from your past that you remember that made an impact on your life, that left an imprint on your heart? And and the way that we honor them the best is by remembering and living out the impact that they made on us, is it not? The best way we can honor those who have gone on before us is to continue to love like they loved and to continue to impact like they impacted and continue to reach out like they did. Reminding ourselves of who they were and how they lived can help direct our own lives, right? Remembering and honoring those who lived a life of faith and those who prayed for us and those who impacted us and those who sacrificed for us motivates us to continue that same kind of impact. Because memories have a lot of power. Remembering has a lot of power. You know, I've been in church my, my entire life. How many of you have been in church most, at least most of your life? Raised in church, went to church. Um, I've been in, yeah, got in trouble in church. Um, did things you shouldn't have done in church. Backslid, came back to church. Backslid again, came back to church. Church is always there someplace, right? There's a lot of memories that I have in being Paul. You know, I've been involved in just about every kind of ministry, and uh, I've, been, I've had the opportunity to minister to children and youth, and I've been on mission trips. And um, I remember, uh, you know, some of my best memories of my life was being in youth ministry and, and having a drama team and us traveling around all over the place in the, in the green van. We used to call it the Vomit Comet because... Uh, one of our young people threw up in it on our way to Greenwood over in Boone County. Um, we ended up having to, to, to take that uh, green van and get rid of it because it kept getting these recall notices that it could tip over. Um, that's, that's always fun, knowing that we had 12 people on a green van driving through Boone County with the danger of tipping over. Right? And they used to play that game. What'd they call it? What'd Matt call it? Corners, yeah, they call it corners. You know, of course, I was a, I was a little younger during those days, although I'm still kind of old and should have known better. But um, we would go around curves, and everybody would lean into the curve. I don't know if you know this or not, but that is not smart, especially in a van that is supposed to tip over. Not in Boone County. And Greenwood was right before you went over the mountain into Raleigh County. We were way over there. But we went to all kinds of places and 
and God blessed in a lot of ways and opportunities to really uh, minister. And you know, these kind of memories, they, they, they remind us of, of why we're here and what we do. It reminds us and, and it stirs us and it, 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 it keeps us moving forward. And so as we mourn, maybe during this time, uh, loved ones that have gone before us, we also celebrate the life that they live by continuing the same faith, the same courage, the same strength. Now, also during this time, we mourn for the senseless deaths of the children in Uvalde, Texas. As a parent, my heart felt heavy, a little fearful, but I know it could not compare to the heaviness of the horror that the families of these innocent children have to be feeling at this moment. It's a parent's worst nightmare. Our kids are our treasures. They, they hold our hearts in our hands. They are the depiction of what is still beautiful and innocent about our world. And so when I look at this situation, my heart breaks, and we remember, and we pray, and we, we look to God. But this horrible event is also the manifestation of the deepest of evil, the, result, the results of the darkness of one young man's heart. There's going to be a lot of investigating and debating about what happened, what may have went wrong, how this could have happened, what could have been done to prevent this. I'm sure we've all had these conversations already. And I just want to say, you know, I'm not trying to be political or anything, but I I believe in constitutional rights. And the reason why I believe in constitutional rights is because I believe they're rooted in the Judeo-Christian belief that our rights are not given to us by the government, but by God. That we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. I believe in the Second Amendment. I believe that law-abiding citizens should be able to defend themselves against those who do evil things. But I also understand the desire of people who want to have conversations about whether certain gun control laws could help keep this from happening or at least slow it down. And I don't know whether any laws can really do this, but I understand the desire to talk about it. The young man broke a couple of laws already in order to do the evil act that he did. And to be honest with you, I don't want to make a political stand, and I wish that as a country and as Christians that we could have discussions about things like this without making it an opportunity to score political points or to demonize our opponents. Every time someone disagrees with us, they're going to hell because they don't see it the way I see it, right? But what I do know is that what happened that day reminds me that we desperately need God that we desperately need revival. As we were singing this song this morning, I just want you. I'm going to be honest with you, that is the cry of revival. I just want you. I just want you. I just want your presence. I just want to be where you are. When that really, truly becomes the cry of the church, that's when revival begins. Because we know the revival is not a set of meetings. It's not a time that we gather together. We talked about this a few years ago when we did the series on I Am Revival. It's not just a seven-day meeting. We don't just hang a sign outside that says we're in revival and therefore automatically we're in revival. Revival is when God's people suddenly desire God more than they desire anything else. This is the call of God's people. Not religion, not gathering together because it's what we're obligated to do on a Sunday, but because we want and need God more than anything else. 
And so no matter what else we may do regarding this situation, whatever debates you want to have, whatever situations you want to talk about, what we must realize is that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That every issue must begin with the heart. Evil exists and it manifested itself on that day. But it also reveals to us that darkness lies within the human heart. And only Jesus is the life that is the light of men. And we need his light and we need his life. In the middle of this chaos, in the middle of this fear of this unspeakable evil darkness, there is life and there is light and it is found in Jesus. During these times, the question of why is loud. Why would God allow something like this to happen? How many of you have ever asked that question? Maybe not necessarily about this situation, but something in your life. Why would God allow this to happen? And I would love to stand up here as the great philosopher and theologian and give you an answer, but the short answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why things like this happen or why the God who's the sovereign over all things doesn't always step in and stop situations like this. I don't know. I do know that, it, that God's common grace is what keeps us all alive in the first place. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. That God blesses the saint and the sinner alike. That it is because of God's grace that we don't slip into the greatest darkness and evil that mankind can possibly get to. Because of God's common grace. But what I do know is this. As long as we live in a fallen, sinful world, evil will exist. Jeremiah said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But as Greg Laurie said, the most important question is not why, but who. Who can we run to for help in the midst of this broken world? The fact is, God loves these families, and He is near to those with a broken heart. And those of you who have been through broken times in your life can probably testify of the love and the grace of God that got you through. That some of you are going through it now and God's love has still found you and God's love has still graced you and God's love has still been there for you. Because God is a God who's familiar with suffering and loss. The cross always reminds us that God understands our pain, recognizes our hurt, knows what it means to be forsaken and to experience loss. When we ask ourselves, where is God in the broken moments of time? He points us to the cross and reminds us, I've been there. I've felt your pain. I've heard your cry. God is our strength and help in times of trouble. And as we remember the who, it leads us to the what. What shall we do? What must we remember? What must we remember and what shall we do when we are faced with crises, when we are faced with brokenness and hurt and unspeakable evil, when we recognize that our world is still doused in darkness. We need revival. Our world needs the life and light of Jesus. We need hearts that are full of that life and light to take this hope to the darkness and death of our world. 
The church needs to be the church who live unashamedly the message of the gospel. It is the gospel that will still bring hope to our world. It is the gospel that promises us that the evil of this world cannot overcome the promise of God's salvation and eternal life. That no matter what this world may throw at us, it cannot strip away from us the life and light of God. It cannot strip away from us the promise of His salvation and His eternal life. That no matter what this world throws at us, we can still recognize God is our strength and very present help in time of trouble. That we can run to Him as a strong tower when we need Him the most. I recognize that we don't always have answers, but we do have a who. We do have one who has captured our hearts. We do have one who entered into our pain, who entered into our heartache that is not distant from where we are. This sovereign God has allowed us to make our own choices, has allowed us to make our own situations. And many times it puts us in places of darkness. It puts us in places of unspeakable evil. And so we believe that God, in His grace and His mercy, still reaches down. Because I believe that no matter where we are or what we do, the gospel really is the answer. That no matter what sin or brokenness or heartache that we are talking about, the gospel is still the answer. As a dad, my heart is always turned to my kids. I love them with ferocious love. And knowing that the enemy would want nothing more than for them to allow the fear and the darkness of this world to pull them away from God motivates me more than ever to make sure that they hear the gospel. It's our responsibility as parents to plant the power of God's word into their hearts. It's our responsibility to be the spark of revival that can touch their hearts. When your kids grow up, do you want them to be like you? God has called us to pray over them and fight against the current of this world system that will try to shape them. And make no mistake about it, the world is after our children. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but everyone knows if you can reach the kids, you can change a nation. We pray that their identity be found in God, that their hearts would turn towards Him and away from the lies, because sin lurks and longs to destroy God spoke to Cain and said, listen, sin is lurking at your door. If you don't recognize it, you're going to do something that you regret. And surely Cain did. He rose up and killed his brother. God came looking and said, where is your brother, Cain? And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? Is it my job to know what's going on in my brother's life? If you're not your brother's keeper, then you become your brother's killer. God said, the blood of your brother cries from the ground. God hears brokenness. He recognizes hurt. But he also recognizes that if we don't deal with our heart, it will always lead us places we didn't want to go. It will always take us places that we never wanted to be. We must be the revival that not only impacts our lives, but future generations. It has been said that we can either pay the price now for revival or pay the price later for not having one. What must we do for revival? I know this is a different kind of sermon and maybe a little bit heavy. I'm not even asking for you to agree with everything that I'm saying, but I do pray that all of us would get back to a reality of remembering 
Memorial Day is about remembering. It's about remembering God's grace and remembering God's goodness in the face of a world that is falling apart. What must we do for revival? First of all, obviously, we need to turn to God. It seems simple. But revival is the result of God restoring His people. It is a sovereign move of God's favor. The sons of Korah writing the psalm said, Lord, you have been favorable unto your land. You have brought us back from captivity. Folks, let's not, never forget that it is God who is our rescuer. That as Don said, we're not, many times we spend so much time trying to fix things that don't need fixed. But here's the thing, I can't fix me. I need a fixer. I need someone who can fix me. And God can I have to recognize that no matter how much I push God away, there is no shadow he won't light up, no mountain he won't climb up, no wall he won't kick down, no lie he won't tear down to get to where you are. Because some of you are in a place where you've pushed God away, where you have justified where you are. But if we are going to have revival, if we are going to see our families saved and our nation turn, then we must turn to God. And we must recognize this sovereign aspect of revival. Revival is not an event on the calendar. We don't point our finger at God and say, God, we're having a meeting. Show up and revive us. It's a sovereign move of God. True freedom is found only when God is the true source of our life and the priority of our heart. When God becomes the priority in the pursuit of our lives, that's when revival begins. When we stop singing songs because the praise leader is telling us to sing it. And we start singing songs because we want to express our love and passion for Jesus. When Sundays no longer become a religious activity, but becomes the pursuit of the one who saved us and redeemed us and set us free. In the middle of our confusion, in the middle of our chaos, we turn to God because only He is the answer. He is the source of our life. I believe God still does miracles. I believe that God still does powerful things. I believe that God is still the God of wonders, the God who still heals. I may not always have the answer of the whys, but I do know the who. And I know that He is faithful. And I know that He is good. So God, turn us towards you. Number two, if we are going to have revival, we not only turn to God, but we must turn from sin. We can't turn to God and not turn from sin. It's sin that wrecked this whole world and created the evil climate that produces destruction. Not just outwardly, but within our own hearts. Recognize that in the garden, Adam and Eve had a relationship with God that could not be broken. They walked with Him in the cool of the evening, the Bible says. Can't even imagine what that was like. But it was sin that brought separation. It was sin that brought death, sickness. Everything that was broken. Lions could lay down with lambs before sin entered into this world. You could have a pet rattlesnake. There was no fear. There was no fear. There were no phobias. There was no brokenness and uncertainty. There was no doubt. It is sin that does this. It is sin that causes this type of destruction. Sin destroys lives, it ruins marriages, 
It separates families and separates friends. It will give us temporary pleasure and promise us fulfillment. But know this, eventually sin always demands payment. It always demands payment. And as Moses said, be sure that your sin will find you out. As we cover up things and as we cover up our sin, instead of turning to God and recognize our need for a Savior, it keeps us from experiencing His true, restoring, reviving power. The Bible tells us that if we will repent and turn to Him, that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. The problem is, is that we've redefined sin. We've made it different names. Things that used to be sin are no longer sin. And we, we come up with reasons and justifications and excuses. And because of this, it still keeps us away from God's revival. God's restoring power. Church, we are salt and light. We are salt and light. Our world desperately needs a church that has turned to God and turned from sin. Number three, if we want to see revival, we must embrace grace. It is the Lord's grace and mercy that allows us to have true revival. Again, it was his favor, the psalmist says. He cries out to God about his anger and about his wrath and says, Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Salvation is near to them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. When we embrace grace, we recognize that it is the work of God, the very work of God that saves us and redeems us and shapes us into who God has made us to be. We are people of grace. We are people who have been rescued not by our works or by our deeds, not because we have some way of changing things, but only because grace has rescued this darkened heart. Only because by His grace, His light has found me and brought me to this place of freedom and salvation. Let us never forget the grace of God. Can you remember who you were before you encountered this life-changing Jesus? Do you remember where you were and the emptiness and the brokenness and the heaviness and the uncertainty until you came to the cross and the burden of your soul was rolled away? And there by faith I received my sight And now I am happy all the day because of the grace of God. The problem is is that there are people sitting in churches this Sunday who've never really experienced this grace. There are some that may be in here today that you've never really truly turned to God. I, I believe that you can backslide. I understand we can argue about perseverance of the saints or once in grace, always in grace or whatever, however you want to put it. Right, But I do believe that for the most part, most people that walk away from God is because they never really truly had an experience with God. They may have had an experience with religion. They may have lived a life of rules and regulations and a set thing of convictions. They may have gotten saved because they were afraid. Or I've, I've seen people that will come to Christ because if you preach a good message on hell, people will get saved. Right? I remember during September 11th, we had a revival. When September 11th happened, people just flocked to the altar because they were scared. This was the end of the world. We're all, this, is, this is it. This is the end of the world. I want to make sure I'm right with God. 
But what happens when fear subsides and you have no relationship? What happens when fear subsides and you have no relationship? We are exposed. We must experience grace. Because grace does not just save us. It changes our wants and our desires. But we are also carriers of that grace. Do you know that? That God didn't just save you by grace, but He put grace in you. That His grace that saves us and His mercy that delivers us from judgment is the same grace and the same mercy that should motivate us to reach others. This is revival. This is revival when we quit sitting around and just saying, do something, and we actually do something. Well, we actually love people that are unlovable and reach to people that are unreachable. See, Psalm 85 points to the ultimate grace of God found in Jesus Christ. When will your anger be subsided? This is the Bible pointing to the term known as propitiation. Propitiation happened on the cross. Propitiation is the satisfaction of God's wrath. The satisfaction of God's wrath and judgment towards sin was poured out on the Savior. And He took upon Himself my sin. Jesus, You don't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. You already took my sin. You already carried my judgment. You don't owe me anything. And you don't owe me anything either. And I don't owe you anything either except to love you. To love you. We are, as we embrace grace, we carry grace. If we want revival, number four, we have to embrace truth and righteousness. Truth and righteousness. He says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. We must allow truth to reveal to us who we are in the darkness of our own hearts. Truth is not always easy to receive, is it? How many of you know people that just don't care? They just tell you the truth, and they don't care. They don't care how it makes you feel. We might say that they're a bit uncouth, right? They don't know quite how to handle things, right? You watch Seinfeld episodes, and they're always like, if they need something awkward told to somebody, they always bring Kramer over. Because Kramer don't care. He just says what's on his mind. Truth is not always easy to receive. It's not always easy to accept. I mean, most of us don't even want to know there's something in our teeth. You ever had somebody tell you? You got something in your teeth. Can't believe you. Like you're so offended. I'm sorry I didn't allow you to walk around with broccoli stuck out of your teeth. Thought I'd help you out. Here's a piece of floss. We get offended by that. But when the truth actually hits our heart and tells us who we are and reveals to us the secret places and the hidden places. You know, there's coming a time that Jesus said that which was spoken in secret will be shouted from the housetops. That that which was done in darkness will be brought to the light. That's truth. And God's truth wants to find us. And here's the thing about God's truth. It's not God's desire to embarrass us. But it is God's desire to save us. 
And sometimes we might have to be embarrassed to be saved. Sometimes we might have to be exposed to be saved. And that's truth. Because it reveals to us the darkness of our own hearts. It makes us confront our idols. Because make no mistake about it, the fact of the matter is that when we see such evil, and we see such darkness, and when we are reminded of the divide in our own nation and how politically motivated everything is, recognize that all we have done is created another God. The reason why I believe that we've become so fervent about our politics is because we've forgotten God. Romans chapter 1, we will always go back to that because it is the prophetic reality of every nation in history. That when you forget God, you will find a God substitute. When we turn our back from God, we will find an idol. An idol of politics, an idol of power, an idol of sex, an idol of acceptance, an idol of drugs, an an idol of money. We will find an idol of fishing. We will find something meant to satisfy our lives that can only be satisfied by God. And that's why many times we find ourselves dissatisfied and empty and hurting and disappointed is because we have tried to put on someone or something that which can only be satisfied by God. Truth points us to the cure of our darkness And then leads us to righteousness. And that's why when we embrace truth, we're also embracing righteousness. Being made right with God and doing those things which glorifies God. Righteousness, the Bible says, exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. When we make righteousness our pursuit, the desire to do what is right and godly just because it's right and it's godly. To do what is right when everybody else is doing what is wrong. To still speak truth in a world that has embraced the lie. This is righteousness. To to be mocked by the world and our culture that says that living by the Bible is outdated and antiquated and is not culturally relevant, but we continue to stand on the unchanging truth of God's word. This is righteousness. Living out a life that has been radically changed. Because we must tell the truth. Because it is the truth that sets the captive free. And this is revival. When we embrace truth. And when we embrace righteousness. And so as we remember during this Memorial Day holiday. May it motivate us to live a life that matters. May remembering the beauty of God's love and God's grace motivate us to extend the same love and the same grace to our world. Lots of times all we need for our faith to be encouraged is just to remember. 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 And that's what Memorial Day is. Remember. Don't forget. Don't don't forget the sacrifices that were made. Don't forget that your freedom didn't cost zero. It cost lives. And don't forget your loved ones who have gone on before that lived a life of faith that impacted you and made a difference in you. Don't forget. And forget not all of his benefits, for he forgives all of your iniquities and heals all of your diseases and he redeems your life from destruction 
and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Don't forget. We need revival. In church, God is our only hope. There is darkness around us. There is evil around us. And I can't always give you an answer of why, but I can give you the who. And so may this time of remembering lead us to seek true, lasting, life-changing revival. Let us not slip back into religion. Let us not slip back in going through the motions. May we seek true, lasting, life-changing revival. Bow your heads with me here this morning as we turn our hearts to God. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your blessing upon our lives, that your blessing is upon all those who will walk, that walk in your favor, that your favor is on us, our families, our church, our community. Your favor is on our children. And so, Lord, as we turn to you during this Memorial Day season, we mourn, we remember, our hearts are broken for families in Texas, for senseless loss. We're heavy here today, God. Our hearts are heavy, but we're reminded of the who. We're reminded of the God who cries with us. We are reminded of the God who entered into our pain. We are reminded of a Jesus who walked, who experienced, who was abandoned, refused and rejected, who went to the cross and not only felt the physical pain of of nails and a spear, but felt the weight of every sin, of every broken heart, of all our heaviness, of all our sickness and all our disease wrapped up, swallowed by the Son of God on the cross. God, help us remember that you are not far from us. You are not far from us. As we focus our attention on the Lord, as you know, every service ends with another time of of worship. And I know lots of times once the altar comes, we all kind of shut down. We all kind of feel like the service is over. We're about to leave. We're hungry. We're thinking about where we're going. But I want us to take this time to, to truly worship, truly put our heart before God. There may be some of you in here today that you're away from Jesus. You're away from God for whatever reason. Something happened. Something hurt you. Something has pushed you away. Anger, frustration, uncertainty, doubt. The pull of the world, the pull of your flesh. Something has pulled you away from God. And you spend time rolling over in your mind, justifying and making excuses. But truth truth demands that you be honest with yourself and honest with your heart I'm not asking you to agree with me I'm not asking you to agree with this church but I'm asking you to hear the truth of Jesus 
Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's some of you in here this morning that have been questioning why. As these families in Texas may be doing this morning, you've gone through something. You are going through something, and you've been asking why. And you need God's grace and comfort. Come. If God's truth is drawing you, then you need to make things right with Him. Come. If righteousness is calling out to you, come. If you're broken here this morning and you're asking why, come. If you need a healing, if you need a touch from God, come. God's grace is here. His grace is greater than our sin. It's greater than our hurt. It's greater than our emptiness. It's greater than our wise. Let him touch, let him heal, let him deliver. If you want me to pray with you, I will. This altar is open. I know some of you came during worship, but this is your opportunity to lay your heart before God.